You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to A More To Be Said. This is part two with my good friend, Justin White. You want to say hi, Justin? Hello, Matthew. (laughs) And we are picking back up where we left off last time, just talking about addiction and how do we learn about it? What can we do to grow with it? What if we have family or friends or kids or loved ones who are in our cycle? And uh, what we're going to kind of pick up now is talking a little bit about enablers and codependence. Years ago, I had a conversation with somebody whose um, spouse struggled with addiction and their addiction was gambling. And they had told me in a conversation, Um, that they were finally fed up and they told them if they didn't stop going gambling, they were going to leave them. And I was like, wow, you know, powerful boundary. I was a little shocked at how far the boundary went, but I was like, wow, you know, good for you. How's it going? They said, well, it's been two weeks and they haven't gone gambling once. I was like, good job. All right, way to go. Well, we didn't talk again for a couple weeks. And two weeks later, I'm talking to this person and they said, I said, how are things going? They said, well, uh, right now my spouse is out gambling. And I was shocked. I was like, wow, are you, are you going to file for divorce? Is it over? Is that what it means? Mm-hmm. And this person told me, no, 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 no. They've been working really hard. They've been super, super stressed. I told them just go, just go, just go blow off some steam. And um, at that point, I began to explain to this person that this is what we call enabling, yep. enabling. And so Justin, can you help us understand what is enabling? Well, and what you just described, Matt, it is not uncommon. It's very common for those in addiction to find themselves in a codependent relationship. In fact, I've worked with with another couple, very similar story where the husband was an alcoholic trying to get help. The wife was, you know, very adamant about her anger and wanting him to get help. At the same time, the wife was often the one on Friday night when her husband came home and was stressed, she'd be the one to go to the store and buy a six pack for him. Wow. It kind of blows your mind, but, but here's the deal. So many of us find ourselves in codependent relationships, dysfunctional relationships in addiction. Let me just give a a quick definition that might help, right? Codependent relationship is a kind of dysfunctional relationship where one person person is the caretaker and the other person takes advantage. So if if you're listening right now and you're thinking, am I codependent? Am I, am I in a dysfunctional relationship? That's sort of the baseline definition where one person is caretaker and the other person takes advantage. When it comes to addiction, of course, this has different applications, but when it comes to addiction, typically the caretaker is the one who is not using chemicals and the one who is taking advantage is the one taking chemicals, right? Mm. Addicts are known, classically known, and alcoholics as well as being master manipulators. That's part of our problem. That's part of our disease. It's part of what we do. And I'm not excusing that behavior at all. It's just, it is what it is, right? And then the caretaker typically is the one that's just trying to keep everybody smooth, doesn't like drama. And so in order to avoid drama or in hopes to avoid drama, they will make some moral concessions. Mm right? Oh, it's okay, honey, if you go gambling this one time. It's okay if you have this six-pack tonight. I know you've had a really hard week. I know you need $100 to keep your phone on, so I'm going to go ahead and send you that $100. See, those are those are classic things Science. that happens. Yeah, and you talk about addiction as a disease again. There, There's another sign. So many of us find ourselves in those kinds of dysfunctional relationships. I know there might be some people here today, or listening today rather, that are thinking, you know, I've got this loved one. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a, a mom or dad. And you're thinking, you know, okay, 
they're using, they've got their own issues to deal with. Is there something that maybe I need to do differently? Or yeah. is there some is there some way that maybe I've gotten caught up in their addiction and I want to do something to help them, right? That's an awesome posture to take. And if you're feeling that way, I just commend you. That's 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 incredible. Let me just give you a few warning signs to help you maybe identify if you are a codependent person or if you are in a codependent relationship. Is that all right? Yeah, please do. Okay, so the number one is people pleasing. Are you a people pleaser? It is it is normal to want people to like you and we all want our loved ones to be happy. There is a difference between normal tendencies and having to please people all the time right. or, or getting into those moral concessions just in order to keep them happy, right? That happens a lot. How about this one? A lack of boundaries, mm. right? People in both roles in a codependent relationship tend to have problems recognizing and respecting and even reinforcing those boundaries. And, and, and you'll read it in the boundaries book, but but having a boundary just means that you respect somebody else's right to his or her own feelings or choices. You're not in control of that anymore. Right. Or you, you get you have the opportunity of releasing that. So lack of boundaries. Maybe you're a person number three that has poor self-esteem. Mm. You struggle with your own self-worth. And so you have a real difficult time saying the hard things or really confronting someone's poor choices or lack of respect toward you. Then you might find yourself in a, a codependent relationship. There's others. Uh, we could go on. I could even provide some resources. But those are pretty much the top three. And it's such a it's such a chain to try to break. A powerful chain to try to break. We talk about you know the, the steps that an addict has to take in order to get help. I would say sometimes it's even harder for those on the caretaker side to finally say, you know what, the way I'm doing this, the way that I'm living my life isn't working and I need to make some adjustments. Let me give you one positive story. I've been working with a family in Mooresville um, for a couple years now with a son who is an addict and he's been out of control for years, uh, homeless, using several different kinds of drugs and drink and they've just, they, they just don't know how to deal with this anymore and they're, they've been really struggling. They would tell you they have struggled to in their codependent relationship. They have struggled with enabling. They have kept him on the company's payroll. They have, it's a family business wow. and here he is using and they've kept him on the payroll because they just couldn't cut the cord. They yeah. couldn't say to him, yeah, we know you're going to end up homeless, but here's what happened. He's been out of the state. He finally asked for help to come home and he promised, the, the, the user promised that he would go to rehab if his mom and dad would just help him get to rehab. And so his mom and dad flew him back home and they took him to a place here in Indiana and dropped him off. And as soon as he checked in, he got angry with the facility. He got angry with the nurses and he said, I'm not leaving here. Take me home. Yeah. And do you know what this dad did? I was so proud of him. This dad got into his car and drove away. Wow. He left him at the rehab center he ended up walking on the county roads, ended up being picked up by the sheriff and, and taken to another place, I think another uh, another uh, family's home. Yeah. Right. That was a massive step for this dad to do for his son because there's a part B to this. Two days later, the son finally said, Dad, you were right. I need to go to rehab. Will you take me back? And he took him back. He completed the whole rehab. After rehab was over, he checked into a sober living facility here on the west side of Indianapolis. He's making steps. My point is wow. those those hard boundaries are so hard, yes. especially if you struggle with codependency or enabling. But the 
benefits are so massive, and that's when change really does start to happen. Is there a difference between codependency and enabling? Or is it the same kind of? It's a great question. Um, check your local therapist. Okay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I see them very much linked. I think there are some differences. Codependence just seem to be a little more stealthy. It's a little harder to recognize. It's easy to say somebody's enabling. Like for instance, if your son, your grown son is actively using, but can't pay his bills yeah. and you're paying his bills for <laughs> him, that's enabling. Yeah. Right. Codependency gets into some passive aggressiveness and some emotional abuse yeah. and manipulation. It can. So there's I think there's some different levels there. Yeah. In your story, which we talked about in the last segment. So if you haven't listened to that yet, you should go back and listen to that. This might make more sense. But would you say your drug dealer was an enabler for you? Because you even talked about your drug dealer is like, oh, you want to get clean? I'll go get you this box <laughs> or whatever it's called. Oh, you want to go back to using? Sure, I'll get you that. Like, what do you need? I'll just give you. So or was that like for them or were well, they he maybe? Was, he was just being a good businessman. Ah, okay. <laughs> he, he wanted okay. my business. And so he would do anything he could. To keep your money coming. Exactly. Because he was smart. He knew I would try Suboxone on my own. And as soon as those were out, I would need something else. Yeah. Right. And I would just keep going back. So so that was a little bit of a different relationship. But there okay. were people in my life that I had manipulated enough and I had lied to enough yeah. trying to keep everything hidden that, yeah, they, they were there were people around me that didn't know what was going on that were doing things for me that probably they shouldn't have. Now, I don't, yeah. I really don't blame them because I, I, at the time I was doing a good job of not telling the truth. Right. Right. And so they thought they were doing a good thing for me. For instance, I was missing a lot of work. Yeah. Right. And so there were team members that were covering bases for me mm. that really shouldn't have at, at some point they should have said, Hey, you're missing a lot of work, man. Are you, are you okay? But I had gotten to that point where I could argue anything away and right. kind of create this story. But typically, so so I used for about 18 months. I was in an active addi addiction for 18 months. The longer your addiction, your active right. addiction is in play, the easier it is to start picking out the lies and the manipulation. Wow. Really? So you start, because people will see your pattern. Boom. And then as soon as they start drawing boundaries, that the, the addict knows I got to find somewhere else to go, somebody else to go exactly. to manipulate, to control, to get what I want. Exactly. And so that's what we would always say. Whenever I step in and, and counsel a family that comes to me and says, hey, Justin, we've got this son, we've got this daughter, or I myself, I'm struggling. Can, can you help us? One of the first things I'll talk about with the family is everybody needs to get aligned with the word no. Oof. No can be the most loving word you can say to someone. Yes. But if just one person isn't aligned with that in the family or the, the yeah. inner circle of the addict, yeah. that's trouble. Yep. You have to be aligned in all saying, you know what? No, we're not going to pay any more bills. No, we're not going to run this errand for you if we think that it's going to lead you to something unhealthy. Right. Right. We're going to expect you to make these healthy choices. And if you don't make these healthy choices, we're not going to go any further with the relationship. Does that make sense? Absolutely. We're, we're setting the boundaries, right? Yeah. And we're using the word no in the name of love. Yes. I spent some time with a different counselor, um, local here, good guy, helped me a ton. And uh, one of the things that he told me was you have to put the weight of somebody's decision back on them. So you're allowed mm. to serve somebody, but you're, you're trying to help them feel the weight of their decision. This works for parenting. This works for everything. Your spouse, your coworkers, there's nothing wrong with accountability. There's nothing wrong with accountability, right? 
So uh, we did a 360 review a year ago and uh, I found out that I don't walk on water. And, and <laughs> apparently the staff don't think I walk on water either. Who knew? And uh, you know, it's ironic. We did that 360 review in a season when my dad was literally in the hospital dying from COVID. Mm. And my mom then went into the hospital nearly dying from COVID. Mm. And, and then at the same time, there was some stuff going on. And so anyway, I wasn't, I was not present and I was not functioning well and I was not doing my job well. And that was the exact same month we did the 360, but I didn't tell anybody that. I was just trying to be the tough guy and show up and, you know, do my best, but I wasn't doing well. So the review reflected that. And then when, after I got over my pride being hurt, I started making significant changes mm. in order to love our team and serve our team better because they deserved that. They deserved my best. And I, it just reminded me, we all need held accountable. Oh, and that's the truth. We all go through seasons. If I had been more vocal about what my mom and dad were going through, I probably would have been given more grace. But regardless, the team has every right to hold me accountable to do my job. And there's no sin in that. That's right. So they could have carried the burden had they known, but I didn't tell them I was being prideful and I just wanted to be tough guy and tough it out. But my point is, there's nothing wrong with holding somebody accountable. That's right. And that's one of the reasons why in the 12-step process, one of the things we urge from day one, if you came in day one to one of our 12-step meetings, one of the messages you would hear is, you have to work the steps and you have to find a sponsor. We talk about that a lot in, in 12 says you probably heard that before. What is a sponsor though? Tell us about yeah. it. It's, it's what you were just talking about. It's a, a form of accountability, friendship, mentorship. Don't we all in almost every area of life, don't we, don't we need others who have blazed the trail for us, yeah. who have gone somewhere where we haven't yet gone, but want to go. I mean, I think about that as a dad. Mm. I think about that in my faith. I think about that in my career. And certainly that can be true in your recovery over whatever it is that you're struggling with, including substance abuse. It's somebody that can walk alongside of you and that can help you and, and even call you out when you need yeah. to be called out. I need to be called out. Somebody. I don't walk on water either, man. Yeah. And we all need people in our lives that love us and that we trust that can say, you know what, here's what I think you need to be thinking about. Or here's an area that needs some focus or attention, not because they're trying to harp on you, yeah. but because they love you and, yeah. and they want they want what's best. So to that end, if you are a family member wanting help for your user son or user daughter, uh, or maybe maybe you have a spouse and and you're trying to figure out how do I help them? What are some things I could encourage them to be doing? I, I can't say enough about helping them get involved in some sort of 12-step program, whether it's faith-based or not. I wouldn't worry about that at the beginning necessarily because at number one, you want to help them recover from their substance abuse. Of course, I'm a fan of, of faith-based right. 12 steps. Right. And that's what we do on Monday night. I think the two are a great marriage. And like I said, really the 12 steps are discipleship anyway, but regardless, yeah. whether it's AA or NA, uh, CA, SA, right. celebrate recovery, whatever it is, gamblers anonymous, there's gamblers anonymous. You can even find uh, meetings online, although I don't suggest that as your first step. I think it's harder to connect over a computer screen, but if that's your only option, do it. Yeah. Find a meeting. There are apps available that you can download. There are websites that you can that you can Google quickly. If you're looking for a meeting, they're going to find connection. They're going to find a sponsor. They're going to find accountability. So is your group that you lead down in Mount Gilead mm -hmm. um, in Mooresville, correct? Correct. So for those who aren't curious, maybe, hey, where is that? I'm not sure where Mount Gilead is. You can look up Mount Gilead Christian Church there in Mooresville. In your group you lead there, do you lead Celebrate Recovery or is it your own thing? It is, it's our own thing, but we steal a lot of the model from Celebrate Recovery. There are a couple of 
couple things that that we wanted to do a little bit differently than what Celebrate Recovery does. And so we're, we're kind of a hodgepodge of AA, NA, Celebrate Recovery, um, even Al-Anon. But yeah, we blend the 12 steps with scripture. We uphold both and find the beauty in both. And um, we all meet together uh, for the first uh, 30, 35 minutes. And I teach usually on some aspect of recovery, or we'll hear a testimony from a member of the group. We always do a quick five minute break. If you do smoke cigarettes, you're allowed to smoke cigarettes on the break. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that another time. We're more concerned in your alcoholism or your meth use or your opioid addiction. After the break, we come back and we actually have three groups, Matt. We have a guys group. If you're a, if you're a man and you're struggling with substance abuse or pornography or some hurt habit or hang up, yeah. then we have a men a men's group for you. Uh, it's a, it's a discussion group afterwards. Now, by the way, we've had so many men recently. We actually have two men's groups that that meet afterwards. We'll make sure you find the right group. Uh, we have a men's a men's group, a women's group. If you're struggling with some sort of a chemical dependency or some hurt habit or hang up, we have a women's group, and then a third group we just started a few months ago, and it's specifically designed for the family member or friend. Mm. And so, if you're coming and your struggle is not that sh- that you have a substance abuse problem yourself, but it's a loved one, we have a specific group for you because you're you're dealing with some other kinds of issues as well and we want to speak into that and offer support and encouragement for others or from others that have have been in that same situation so i always want to tell this too look i know it's a massive step to attend your first meeting for somebody to walk into maybe a new building and maybe you're new to recovery i mean that's a massive step hope you just understand if you come on Monday nights to Mooresville, you're not going to be put on the spot. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be asked to reveal your deepest, darkest secrets. In fact, I always tell new people, we don't want you to talk. Yeah, Don't talk the first few weeks. Just listen. Just take in. Just start meeting people who are going through a similar struggle. You are not alone. You are one of us, and we're glad you're here. Yeah. One of those mentors I referenced, um, I think it was in our last podcast we did, was a guy named Dr. Walker, and uh, he works at the Blessing Ranch, and mm. um, he's been a huge blessing to me throughout my life. He coached Perry Noble, uh, another mm-hmm. famous pastor with his struggle with alcohol addiction, but one of the things he told me once, I remember sitting over a pizza, he'd come into Indiana, work at another church, he's like, Matt, you, you want to drive down here, drive an hour, meet me? I was like, yeah, absolutely. So he drove an hour, I remember, we're sitting there eating pizza, and uh, he said, you know, Matt, he gave me this powerful analogy. He said, scale of zero to 100, I want you to think of you the most powerful relationship of your life based off trust. So 100% trust over here, 0% trust over here. And he said, you know, you want to get to the place where you 100% trust people. When you're in a 100% trusting relationship with people, you can be completely vulnerable. You can share your deepest, darkest struggles and, and whatever with them. And you know, you trust them. They're not going to go gossip about it. They're not going to go talk about it. He said, but here's the thing. You don't get there because you look at somebody and say, I trust you. <laughs> Right, <laughs> that worked that way. In fact, the people who do that, you you're you don't trust them back because you're like, I'm I'm leery of you. I don't know that I buy that. Right. Um, even in the stuff you and I are sharing here, there's an element of stuff that we withhold for other conversations. Right. right? This it's a different level of conversation. But the way he's what he says so powerful. He said when you walk into Walmart, you trust that person to some level, right? At least at say a 25 on a zero to 100. They say, How are you today? You don't like lie to them or whatever. You're just like, I'm all right. Right. You know, I might be having a great day. I'm great. You know, I'm having a terrible day. I'm like, eh, I've had better days. Right. But I tell them something. What's your name? I'm Matt. You know, it's about as good as it goes. But there's trust there. Yep. And so the way that I go from 25 to 50 and 50 to 75 and 75 to 100 is I give people a little bit more and then I see what they do with it. Mm. 
And he said, Matt, we all do it the same way. It's universal. The reason you're close friends with certain people in your life, because at some point you gave them a little bit and yeah. you saw what they did with it. That's right. And if they were trustworthy with what you did with it, then what they did with it, then you gave them more. That's right. And if they weren't trustworthy, then you pulled back a little to mm -hmm. see how they handle it. Did they own that? Were they willing to say, I'm sorry about that? Were they willing to make changes? So here's my, the reason I'm bringing that up is because if you're sitting out there and you're thinking, I've got this thing, whether you are on the side of you are close to an addict or whether you're the addict yourself, there's always the shame that goes into it. Right. And there's this, the shame keeps us quiet and paralyzed and in fear and in darkness mm. and alone. Mm -hmm. And so the only way to get out of that, you're not going to go from 25 to hundred just because Justin and I are sitting here saying, trust us. Mm -hmm. But if you showed up at a meeting and you just watched and you start to ask the question, can I trust Justin? Can I trust these people? You might go from 25 to 50. That might take you three weeks, a month or longer. But then maybe one day you tell part of your story and you only tell the safest part, not the most sure, embarrassing, sure. shameful part, but you might go from 50 to 75, mm -hmm. right? And over time, you might find there's a group of people that you can actually trust. And you'll discern that over time, but you'll never know until you take that very first step. I love that. One of the guys that, that attends on Monday night, he, he talks about our group being the place where he unwinds. Mm, that's good. When he, when he attends that hour, hour and a half meeting every Monday night, he leaves feeling unwound. Well, how did he get wound up? You know, it, it's because we, we lose trust with people throughout the week. We get damaged. We start pulling in. We start isolating. We start withdrawing because of people's words or actions toward us or because of how we've hurt other people, right? We end up winding ourselves up. But when you're around other people that are honest, who trust you a little bit, who have been where you feel like you are, there's something spiritual that happens in that moment where we start to unwind and we start connecting to one another. And uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I had one last question. I know we're running out of time, sure. so I'm just wondering if you have time to deal with it. I read a great book by Charles Duhigg, and it was something along the lines of, I didn't write down the name, so forgive me, but something like uh, creating habits or breaking habits, something along those lines. Uh, Charles Duhigg spent a lot of time in this field, but he talks a lot about triggers and beginning to learn your triggers. Mm. Are you familiar with some of that language? Or oh, do you yeah. have to, what, what is a trigger? And is there any tips you have for somebody out there, like help recognizing those triggers? What do we do with those? Let's talk a couple examples, right? Yep. For an alcoholic who maybe goes to a detox or a rehab clinic finally and gets help, come home and they're they're trying to do the right thing. They're going to a couple meetings every week and their wife says, hey, could you run to the store and get me a loaf of bread and some eggs? You know, the hurricane menu. And he goes to the <laughs> store and he walks in and what is the very first thing he sees at the grocery? Do you realize that at almost every grocery store, they make you walk through the wine, beer, and liquor aisles. Yep. It's crazy. So that in and of itself would be a trigger for the alcoholic. Oh, I used to come here and I used to pick up this drink every day or every other day. This is my thing. That triggers them. They're trying to make healthy steps and trying to overcome and move on with their life. But they're in this situation all of a sudden that takes them back and clings on to them. That's that's a trigger. And for some people, it's think of a trigger on a gun. You pull the trigger and the gun goes off, yeah. right? And a, even walking down an aisle like this, this is why one of the reasons I have so much respect for alcoholics, because alcohol is legal. Everywhere. And, and it's, it's everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. And, and it's glamorized. Yeah. And so that would be a trigger. For me, when I was still living in Columbus, when I came home from rehab, I was trying to build my life back and trying to make healthy choices and start connecting with other addicts and alcoholics in recovery. 
But my drive from my house to my church led me by the home of one of the places where I would pick up drugs. And so every time I would drive by that house, it would immediately make me think of that person and that situation that I really wanted to move on from. Yeah. Now, thankfully, didn't trigger me to use. There were some other emotions that I had to still work through. And there are still times I'm triggered. But so for, for one thing, hope you understand, being triggered is not a problem. We're all triggered. Whether your problem is substance abuse or not, let's say, guys, you know, we know lust is a big issue for us. Seeing the Sports Illustrated uh, swimsuit edition every year, that, that's a trigger. Pop-up ads, commercials, Pop-ups. video games, Boom. you name it. Right. All those are triggers. Again, it's sort of like, I'm sure when you've, when you've preached on this, you know, you, you share temptation itself is not in and of itself a sin. Right. Right? Right. It's when we choose to act on it. And that's what we would just say in recovery as well. Look, we're all going to be triggered. There are going to be times when you are going to feel like using or you want to use something comes up out of the blue and it's going to lead you in that direction. The question is, what do you do with it? And so we, it's one of the things we talk about in recovery is, okay, what, what's my game plan if I'm triggered? Oftentimes, there's a connection piece. So you've got to connect to your sponsor or an accountability partner or go home and tell your wife about it. Maybe it's you, you need to get to a meeting that night. Maybe you're, you are in such bad shape. I just got a message actually last night from a friend who's in recovery, and she was with her friends on Halloween and decided to go to the bar. Matt, her one-year sober day was yesterday. Oh, and she's at a bar because she wants to connect with friends. That's not bad. I understand. No, absolutely. Right? But she, you know, she did in that moment. She messaged me. She connected with somebody else in recovery that understood it. I was able to give her a couple uh, pointers and a couple things to think yeah. about. And she was able to be victorious. She reached out. Praise God. And praise God. Yeah, yeah we're going to celebrate that tonight at our meeting. So there, there are some, there's some framework that we can help a person with if they feel like uh, they, they need some help with those triggers. There's a, uh, an actor. I'm really bad. For those of you listening who don't know me, please give me grace. I, I remember a book. There was this passage in the Bible. There's a guy. I can't remember yeah. his name. Uh, Josh Hamilton in the last podcast. That's his last name. Anyway, there was an actor I was watching, um, famous, famous actor. If I said his name, you'd know it. But anyway, a video came up on Facebook one day. I was just doing those stupid video things. I was brain, you know, brainless scrolling through videos. And uh, he was talking about how he had a drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and a porn addiction. And he said, of all of the three, the porn addiction was the hardest to shake. Mm. And um, he'd had a sponsor. He was working with a sponsor and he was just feeling really tempted one night and he called a sponsor and his sponsor said to him, and he's dropping F-bombs left and right. So I'll give you my summary of what he said. He said, I don't know what you're feeling right now. I can only imagine how hard it is, the loneliness that you Mm -hmm. feel, the pain that you feel. But I know this, whatever that is offering to you is a lie. Mm. And on the other side, you will not feel the way that it is promising you, you will feel. And I thought, how powerful, because he said, I mean, he said something to the effect of, my sponsor can't make me do anything. That's right. At best, they can be a friend who reminds me of the person I want to become, the person I've told them in my most vulnerable moment. I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. And so at best, that's what they can do and offer me hope and follow up and love me and care for me no matter what. But again, I, I think sometimes this accountability thing we've been talking about is scary for people. But man, just being available the people, right? Having a safe place. That's right. And once you break through to the other side and just take that first step, that, that's what people yeah. are so scared of, right? Yeah. What if people find out the real me and they don't like me? Matt, can I just tell you, the more 
hiding I tried to do, the more miserable I was. <laughs> when I finally just said, enough's enough, I'm going to be open about this. I'm going to be open about my struggle. I'm going to be honest about the things that really I don't really feel like being honest about, but I, need, I know I need to be. Once I took that step, that paved the road yeah. to joy. Yeah. It, it came flooding back. Yeah. And I'm telling you, there is a whole new world of blessing and health and happiness and serenity that is available if we just take that first step. Which is, you said the word, the serenity prayer, the serenity prayer. Amen. Do you know that prayer? You want to pray it for us sure. and close us sure. out with this? Let's do it. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. We thank you for tuning in to this podcast. We hope it's been a blessing to you, and we look forward to sharing more with you next time.